You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, hello and welcome to another edition of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every time we bring you everything that is fun, innovative and exciting in the digital procurement space, continuing again today with our mini-series interviewing industry thought leaders and experts. And today I have a lady who is a former CEO, CPO and published author and also an advisory board member to two very rapidly growing startups. And what I love in your, in your bio, helping individuals and businesses understand technology, improve processes, and align with stakeholders. That's the holy grail, isn't it? So Joanna Martinez, very warm welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, James. So that encapsulates in a nutshell, I think, what everyone wants to do. So just before we jump in, Talk to me a little bit about your background and, you know, obviously you've had your own business now for a few years, but you spent a lot of time in corporate America and ended up as a CPO. So what have you learned through all of that, all of those years working in corporate as the sage and wisdom that you can take forward to advise all, uh, to advise these startups that you now sit on the board of? Well, I am an engineer by profession. And so I spent the first third of my career in supply chain roles, all kinds of supply chain roles for Johnson & Johnson, which is a very diversified company. And um, the way they're structured, they leave a lot of autonomy with their individual units. So I had the great chance to work with everything from a very rigid, rules-based, process-oriented unit to one that was very much like a startup and was experimenting with all kinds of things in the workplace. And that was a wonderful way to learn all of the options that are out there and the fact that you can make all kinds of things work depending on the product, the culture, you know, the people working there, the people buying your products, et cetera. So that was a wonderful experience. In fact, I still tell people that one of the best things they can do is start their career with a company that's going to offer them lots of opportunities like that. You know, it's it's great if you can pick that startup that's going to become the next the next Apple or the next Meta, but if you can't, then you're uh serving yourself very well if you get some experience along the lines like that where under an umbrella of a big corporation you get a chance to get training and education and try a bunch of things. I did a stint in procurement. I loved it. And decided that I wanted to focus on helping companies that didn't have the kinds of resources that Johnson & Johnson had uh, create uh, purchasing organizations. So I said as my goal that I wanted to work for firms where I would either create a procurement organization or fix a broken one. And twice in the subsequent years, I walked into roles that were vacant because the predecessor went out in handcuffs. 
Wow. Um, and so <laughs> that becomes a very interesting stakeholder engagement um, <laughs> learning experience, right? When into every time you like turn the quarter, internal audit is, is looking at you, looking to see what you're doing and trying to make sure that you're not um, you know, doing something else to, to cheat the company like these other individuals did. So it gave me a good education in, in that sort of thing. So when you left the corporate world, to what extent had you come across technology in, in, in your sort of corporate career? Was it, was it just taking off then or were, were you already sort of established and using a, and, and using a, a suite or a platform within, within your procurement team? My last assignment in the corporate world, or now let, let, let me, I don't want to say assignment because I do a lot of assignments now. My last role as a CPO involved a company, a global company that had a corporate spend that was very modest, but they had a massive billions and billions and billions of dollars of client spend that they were processing, but not really managing. And so technology was important for me to be able to use and to help us differentiate ourselves against the competition. We were not the largest supplier in that space, but we could go forward with some subject matter experts, the right kind of supplier relationships, a platform that our clients could use and that we could use on their behalf. And so some of the technology startups or what was a technology startup, you know, 10 years ago, um, actually enabled me to be successful there. And, and I had, I had a really good CEO who was willing to kind of rethink the kinds of agreements he put in place and allowed us to put an agreement in place for ourselves and our clients in this particular space. And that was an enabler. In fact, in fact, people would say, what's your most important supplier? Who's your most important supplier? And I would name this technology provider. That 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 I found great people. We leveraged some really good GPO deals and created some deals of our own. But it was the fact that we were able to have this platform that was easy for clients to understand um, and, and make them feel comfortable that we were doing a good job on their behalf. That's interesting. And your book is called A Guide to Positive Disruption, your, your book that, uh, that you wrote a couple of years back. So how, how much is technology a part of this? You know, it's obviously about change management and, 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 and disruption and making sure that it, that it gets adopted within, within the workplace. Would you say technology is the main driver of that or, or people, you know, the right talent? You know, it's obviously a mixture of both, but where would you sit on the seesaw in terms of which one swings it? Disruption has been happening since the dawn of time. Pandemic-related disruption is new to us, <laughs> but our jobs and pressures are from the competition, from government regulations, from all kinds of things, cost pressures, um, you know, new products being introduced that make our products go away or our company's products go away. There's a lot of things that have caused uh, disruption. Technology is certainly one of the reasons today that there is more because technology is enabling companies to do things a lot differently, um, you know, than they were just a few years ago. I often tell people, in fact, that um, having 25, 30, you know, 20 years of experience 
on your resume isn't necessarily a good thing anymore, right? There was a time when that was really important, right? The world changed so much in the last couple of years and technology just leapfrogged. You know, the, the pandemic became a great enabler for technology that, that the way anybody did things in 2018 is different from the way they do things today. That's only four years ago, four or five years ago. So the fact that you're good at how something got done for 15, 20, 30 years doesn't matter. Or it matters very little now. Yes, there's subject knowledge. Yes, you know, in certain, uh, you know, areas, you need a deep expertise in a particular commodity or something like that. But generally speaking, things have changed so much that I believe that um, the disruption is is kind of forcing people to look at what do I know that's current? What do I know that's really current? And 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 how have I changed? And I think that rather than talk to years of experience now, people should be talking to, you know, how have I changed in the last five years? What am I doing differently? How is my approach different? You know, how did I take all of this time at home and this disruption and maybe loss of, of a role? What's my pandemic story? going forward. I'll tell you my pandemic story is that in uh, just before the shutdown, I was having a banner year. I do a lot of speaking and a lot of workshops and I was busy. I had a great set of assignments in January, a great set of assignments in February. And in March, I had a verbal agreement with a company a really large company that was going to have me do a series of global talks and workshops for them. So things were looking really good. And then if it shut down, no more global meetings. People were trying to figure out what to do. And most of the division that I was doing this deal with was gone. Most of them were laid off as well, you know, with the restructuring that came. So I had to sort of reinvent myself even. Um, and in fact, I said, wow, I wrote this book because I had been disrupted 18 times during my career as an employee. This is number 19. <laughs> Do I have to re- redo the book? And I decided, no, I don't have to. This is good enough. Um, but anyway, so I used the pandemic time to educate myself more on the new technologies, right? So uh, you know, I understood blockchain. I understood artificial intelligence. I had done a project in robotic process automation. I had helped a company, a big biopharma, move to the cloud. So I understood cloud computing. So there were certain enablers that by virtue of having been in engineering or having been in my space, I, I understood. But then there were other things like, um, you know, the metaverse, Web 3.0, NFTs that I didn't understand as well. And I used the time to educate myself. I even set up a Bitcoin mining operation in a spare bedroom to understand firsthand so that when I spoke to people about blockchain and first explained to them that it's different from cryptocurrency as Bitcoin is not blockchain. That's like slide number one before you even get to the definitions because everybody gets them confused. Um, I wanted to be able to speak from a standpoint of, of knowledge as opposed to just something I am telling people because I did a good Google search. So I used the time to sort of even disrupt and reinvent myself again and technology allowed me to do that. So 
prior, at the beginning of the shutdown, I was speaking a lot about disruption and speaking to corporate groups, speaking to women's groups, speaking to professional organizations, and also speaking about um, us stakeholder engagement, right? Because as, as I told you about my career, I had to figure out like really fast how to engage stakeholders. So now I, I, it added a whole nother set of expertise and a whole set of things that I can talk about and, and help people because I found something, James, that there is a whole generation still, the Gen X um, is kind of caught in the middle here. So I'm a baby boomer. I'm a Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm a um, a digital immigrant. Everybody knows I'm a digital immigrant, right? You've got the the Gen Zs and and uh, you know the, the the millennials who are digital natives. They grew up in a digital world. You still have this cadre of people in the middle here for whom digitization in a way passed them by. They didn't learn it in school. They weren't playing video games at home, et cetera. Uh, They kind of have picked it up along the way, but not everyone uh, gets an opportunity in their role, in their jobs to, uh, you know, understand some of these digital concepts. And so I was speaking, I'd be speaking about disruption. I added a digital element and stuff, uh, you know, as, as some examples. And inevitably, someone would come up to me after the class and say, hey, thanks a lot for explaining this because I think I'm the only one in my office who doesn't understand it. And everyone throws around these terms and I don't want to raise my hand and say, I don't understand that. Because with all the disruption and with all of the change, I feel like that's the wrong message to send. So thank you for helping me. So I actually wound up with this whole nother work stream, if you will, which is conducting some workshops and doing some coaching for people on what these all mean. And it doesn't mean you're going to sit down and, you know, write a program that, that uses artificial intelligence. But I am trying to get people to a point where they can have enough knowledge so that they can ask the right questions. And quite honestly, when someone comes, when a salesperson comes and says, this is AI based, you know what to ask and you can convince yourself whether this application that you're you're trying to automate actually needs an AI application. Yeah, and I, I love that because, I mean, with what I do as well, I try and simplify it as much as possible. And I hate when people use acronyms and just automatically assume that everybody knows what they're, what they're talking about. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. 
I was going to ask you something next, but I am going to I'm going to change the question around a little bit just based on on your last answer. So I was going to ask yes, ask you to give me one area of procurement technology that you think is having the biggest potential impact. But instead, I'm going to say I'm going to ask: Do you think it's the technology itself that's going to have the biggest impact, or the changing type of roles that will be necessary? within procurement teams to be able to service and get the best outcomes out of that technology that inevitably is going to be, you know, introduced into procurement departments. And, you know, indeed, you know, if you look at some of the forerunners like, you know, BT Source being an obvious example, Vodafone, um, that are already in place. So I think it is not the technology. It is what the technology enables you to do that becomes different. So let me give you an example. I do uh, some volunteer work. I'm on the advisory board for the School of Engineering for my alma mater. And the education of engineers is very different now. When I was in school, it was all about doing the calculation. You would have an experiment or you would have a hypothesis. You would spend all of your time creating the calculation that you then had to solve in order to you know, prove or disprove it. Now, those calculations get done in microseconds. So now it's all about, let's look at different options. Now, you know, I had this idea, this is the answer I got. Now, what if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do that? And in the course of the same amount of time it would take us to have done that that calculation, somebody can look at all these different options and then come back with a much better result than we could have gotten. And so I think about procurement technology and the ones that excite me the most are actually the ones that do what you might think is the most mundane. Uh, So for example, things that automate the RFP process, right? So you know I'm an advisor to Arcastro, but I use that as an example because that's one of the ones that that I know the best, right? They're taking all of that back and forth and emails and meetings and things like that out of the process for a whole big subset of repetitive spend, you know, um, uh, items for companies. Now, what does that enable a sourcing person to do? With a sourcing person, just says, wow, I got this done in a couple of days instead of a couple of months, so give me more of the same. That's not a good use of brain power. That's not doing anything for the sourcing profession. If that person then uses the, the, the time or what's created then, um, you know, as a result of, of, of the back office automation to do something like actually put their key suppliers together with their marketing folks and help the suppliers better understand where the company is headed so that, in fact, uh, the suppliers can devote some energy and some manpower and some some research power to giving you what you want or making the enhancements that is going to be important for your company. I mean, those are, those are win-wins all around. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I completely agree with that. And I, I do think that automation and, you know, facilitation of administrative or transactional tasks becoming that much easier is going to free up more time to do exactly like you said, to be able to do activity at the top of the pyramid, like, you know, innovation or even, you know, internal communication and marketing with our stakeholders, which we're, let's face it, procurement is notoriously bad at that. When you look at how good 
sales are or environmental health and safety are at communicating their initiatives to the business. And then you look at how bad traditionally procurement has been. You know, I do genuinely think that's an area that we need to improve upon. And in fairness, you know, I think one of the reasons why procurement doesn't do it is just because, you know, they spend so much time in the weeds doing administrative stuff because, you know, sales didn't fire all of their admin assistants, but procurement did. So no, I'm completely on board with you there. I mean, do you think technology will be the driver in elevating the stance of our profession? Or do you think it will be more urgent things like fighting inflationary pressures or driving initiatives like sustainability or, or, or carbon reduction, net zero? Um, to what extent do you think technology will be driving this in terms of you know, giving us more, more influence in the boardroom or with our stakeholders? Well, technology gives you, again, that foundation, right? Technology does things just like the engineering example. It can give you answers much faster. It is what you do with them that is important. And your point about what procurement is good at, I think is a very important one, James, because you've got this whole cadre. Any procurement organization has a some probably substantial component of people who don't know how to do something different. Yeah. Don't don't think about engaging the organization in a different way. I saw something on LinkedIn this week and I I need to go back and reread it because when I saw it I said, "Ah, oh, I tagged it so that I would I would go back and ponder it a little more and and, and write um a response or share it." And I think it came from Daniel Barnes and he was talking about not um you know the seat at the table you know, the, the yeah. seat at the table that everyone is talking about. I am so sick of procurement organizations moaning and groaning about seats at the table. You know what? There are some really important corporate functions that don't have a seat at the table. And and the people at the table, they're not thinking about procurement like, oh my God, procurement's so important. Let's invite them to join us. I think you just have to act like you do. You have to engage the business differently. You need to be showing the business that you are focused on their goals and what, and their pressures and what they're trying to achieve. And sometimes that has to do with figuring out a way to lower cost because a competitor just figured out a way to do it. And, um, sometimes it's very different. It's in that innovation space or, um, or risk mitigation. You know, you've been clobbered the last couple of years because of, uh, supply chain issues. Well, maybe procurement needs to go back and take another look at all this offshoring because technology is enabling, you know, nearshoring or onshoring to an extent, but Everyone kind of understands that, you know, inherently everyone hears that. I shouldn't say understand, but people aren't necessarily taking action on that. And so, you know, if the, if the calculation says, well, okay, this is what happens from a cost standpoint. Now maybe we go to our local governments and get kind of some kind of tax abatement if we moved all of these jobs here. You know, it's a whole different way for the procurement organization to, to be thinking. And it's looking at the total cost as well, isn't it? Because if you have emergency transport to air freight something from China, that's probably not going on procurement's budget, but it's still a cost to the business overall. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm on board with that. I think now with the, with the, with the leveling out of, of differences in, in salaries and the increase in transport costs, you know, I'm not convinced that there's that much. There will always be uncertain commodities because there's such a, 
because there's such a dense manufacturing base in certain countries. But yeah, I'm, I'm also convinced that it, in some cases, it may well be a false economy when you really dig in and look at things like production stoppages and extra inventory that you're having to hold and sending out a supplier quality engineer every time they send you, they send you crap. It's not like the supplier's two hours down the road, is it? It's a week's business trip. So no, I'm, I'm certainly with you on that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not as easy as you may think in terms of working out the total cost. So just to wrap this up, Joanna, because I know you're busy as well and, uh, and, and I've taken up enough of your time already. Um, if anyone would like to find out more about what you're up to or would like to connect, where's the best place that people can reach out or maybe even get a copy of your book? So my book is on Amazon. It's called A Guide to Positive Disruption. And um, the best way to get me is really LinkedIn. You know, you just have to put Joanna Marcure, uh, Martinez procurement <laughs> when you're doing a search because I was shocked at just There's how many Joanna <laughs> Martinez's there are out there, including a woman who owns a yarn shop somewhere in the Midwest United States, whose name is very close to mine. And uh, she does a really good job with her social media. <laughs> so she pops up sometimes. <laughs> and the other thing is, uh, my, my direct email, if someone wanted that, is, is easy. It's joanna at martinezjoe.com. That's joanna at martinezjoe.com. And we will link to all of those in the show notes as well. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me. It's been great to catch up. We've spoken a couple of times offline, so it's great to get you on the show and, uh, and get your thoughts on a very important topic that you're incredibly involved with, with the work that you're doing. So thanks again and uh, yeah, all the best. Keep in touch. James, I love what you're doing. You're really helping people a lot. Anything that can um, you know, take some of these concepts and give people an opportunity to listen to some new ideas while they're walking or exercising or however people listen to your podcast is a great thing. So thanks for that. And I actually have a dog that needs to go out right now. So that's <laughs> which okay. everyone listens to podcasts while they're walking the dog, right? <laughs> so that was Joanna with her wealth of wisdom on all things digital procurement and change management. Thank you again for listening to the show. We know there are lots of procurement podcasts out there these days, and most of them are actually pretty good. So we appreciate you inserting us into your earballs today with our nuggets of wisdom that we bring you. If you're looking for procurement tech and don't know where to start, head over to procurementsoftware.site where we have over 300 solutions listed where you can filter based on your own individual criteria, all completely free of charge to use. No corporate subscriptions, no signups necessary. Would love to get your feedback on the tool. Until next time, take care, look after yourself wherever you are in the world and bye for now.